So we're in this, uh, this Advent series. Uh, the idea of Advent, if you're not terribly familiar with it, is it's this season of waiting. Waiting that the nation of Israel felt. In fact, some of them felt, and some of them didn't feel. And what I mean by that is, is if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we talked about this, but the idea is we kind of have this general view that the nation of Israel, God had declared through the Old Testament, through prophet after prophet, there's going to come this Messiah, there's going to come this Messiah, there's going to come this Messiah. And they would allude to it and sometimes directly specify what was going to happen, how it was going to happen, and where it was going to happen. But it's not like the entire nation was counting down three, two, one, he's born. In fact, it was the opposite. The nation of Israel had acted a lot like us a lot of the times. They had been rebellious against God and rebellious against God and rebellious against God and knew the good that they ought to have done, but didn't do it. And they were kind of at the point as a nation where they generally felt like, have we finally gone too far? That God has this promise, God has this love, God has this faithfulness, but perhaps we've outkicked our coverage in the faithfulness of God category. Maybe we've gone too far. Maybe our sin has gone too far. Maybe our rebellion has gone too far. Maybe it's gotten a little bit too complex where God isn't wanting to wade in. But then, God does kind of the opposite. You see, at that point in time, there was about 400 years between when the last prophet showed up and when Jesus shows up. So God goes silent for 400 years. And then God does what no one expected, frankly, God to do. He leaned in and he sends an angel, sends an angel to Mary. And then he sends sends an angel to Joseph. Now, if you've ever studied the story of the birth of Jesus and how it all unfolds, and then here's what you know, is that Luke accounts for Mary's side of the story and Matthew accounts for Joseph's side of the story. Because like any story, there's two sides. And here's what we're going to find out. Not only was the nation of Israel not outkicking their coverage in the faithfulness of God, that in fact, God, when he would do the opposite and lean in, he, here's the cool part. God did not lean into people with a perfect story. God leaned into the mess and the complexity. In fact, <laughs> he even made it a little bit more complex and a little bit more messy if you've got your Bible, you can open up to the book of Matthew. I'm sorry, Luke. We're going to read Luke first. We're going to talk about Mary's perspective first. Luke chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 26. says, Luke, who writes a, a document, basically. Luke was a historian. Writes to this guy, Theophilus. And this is important, especially if, if, if you're not really sure, and I don't believe in the Bible, I totally get it, then I don't want you to read this as the Bible. I just want you to read this as an ancient historical document. And, and let's be honest, you don't read things because they're true, you read things because they're interesting, right? Nobody's like, man, Harry Potter, I love it, it's just so true. It's like, fascinating, okay? So, go with me. Verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee, Named Nazareth. Now, Nazareth, for perspective, um, is not like this thriving metropolis. Nazareth is essentially like, um, if you're from Tallahassee, it's like Wakulla, okay? It's like the Perry Mud Bog, okay? This is, this is uh, and if you're from Wakulla, Jesus loves you. And in fact, you know that because there's a huge billboard that says, Jesus loves Wakulla, or Wakulla loves Jesus. Either way, 
<laughs> um, <laughs> so this, this city of, of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now, betrothed, the idea behind this idea of betrothed was it's a little bit more serious than what we have in terms of relationships. If normal relationships kind of track along the lines of, you know, I saw this girl and I met her in class, or I saw this guy, met him in class, or, um, <clears throat> you know, we went to uh, a, uh, a Bible study, you know, not a bar, we went to a Bible study because, you know, you're, you're Christians, and, and you know, we... we talked and introduced and oh my gosh the way that they just enlightened the scriptures and prayed and so I said hey let's get coffee and and then eventually perhaps you know you got engaged and then you're going to get married you know for some of you (laughs) you swiped you know but we're praying for you just kidding well we are but not so (laughs) welcome to church um so this idea of betrothed was more serious than what we have as engagement. These are two parents who came together who said, basically, my son, your daughter, agreed on a, a dowry, which is kind of a price and an exchange. And that, that price and that exchange had already happened. And now it was just a waiting on the actual ceremony. Usually the betrothment kind of period was about a year before the ceremony, the actual wedding ceremony kicked in. So for them to, to split this, would have called for divorce, but they weren't at the point where they were actually married. So he continues. Verse 28, and he came to her, this is angel Gabriel, and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Which, if that might seem weird to you, then that's like, that's typical angel interaction in the Bible, okay? If, if an angel came down right now, none of us would be like, you know what? Actually, I had some questions. You know, the woman at the well, what was her name? It wasn't just woman. What was her name? You know, did Adam and Eve, did they have belly buttons? How did that whole thing work out? We would be terrified because an angel just showed up in verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom. There will be no end. Now, this was important because what they believed was that God would one day send a Messiah, a Savior, someone to deliver the nation of Israel in the verbiage that God would use as he spoke through Samuel to David, or I'm sorry, to the, from the prophet Nathan to David in Samuel, is to say that God is going to establish a kingdom. David, through your lineage, God is going to put someone on the throne whose kingdom will never, ever end. Angel shows up, Mary, it's going to happen through you. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Now, now here's what I love about this question. <laughs> it's honest. She stops and she says, <laughs> um, angel, I don't know if you know how kids are born, Okay. <laughs> But I haven't done that what you must do to bore, bear children, you know? <clears throat> and I don't, they haven't, you know, 
we're not married yet, and so we're not at that point yet. And so, Angel, you know, I know that maybe they told you there was a stork that flies in, but here in the real world, there's some things that need to happen first. So, so how is this going to happen? The angel answered her, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born and will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. He says, Mary, I know this seems like an unlikely story. I know that perhaps you think that there's some mess, there's some complexity that, you know, has happened and existed in the nation of Israel, but I'm about to do something. I'm about to do something extraordinary. And I know it might seem impossible, but it is very possible. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, now here's what's, what I find, find fascinating about this, this story and this narrative. As we read the Bible, oftentimes we read it through the lens of this just kind of clean version. Nothing was messy. Nothing was complex. Nothing was, you know, difficult. But the true narrative couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, in Joseph's story, we pick up the other side of this interaction. If you've got your Bible, I want you to flip back to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. Starting at verse 18. Now again, Matthew captures Joseph's side of the story. We're going to talk a little bit about Joseph, and I'm going to fill in a couple of gaps for us. Verse 16, or verse 18, I'm sorry. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now that's just a really bible way to say they hadn't, you know... <clears throat> consummated yet. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, here's, here's, here's what the Bible doesn't say, but we can read because of the context of what's actually said. What this means is at some point, the angel came to Mary and said, Mary, you're, I know you're a virgin, and you're going to have you know, a child, and the Holy Spirit is just going to be this immaculate type of thing, and, and, and you're going to give birth, and you're going to become pregnant. Which means at some point, Mary had to go tell Joseph. <laughs> now, you don't think about this often. But how would you react if you were Joseph? <laughs> you would do exactly what he did, which is be like, <laughs> right, you know? Mary walks in, and she's starting to show a little bit, and he's, you know, <clears throat> Mary, have you been eating? Like, what's going on with this? <laughs> And she says, actually, it's funny you ask that. And, and again, we don't have this, so this is the Ben International version of how, what happened. <clears throat> but, you know, she says, actually, you know, I've been meaning to tell you about a couple things, and you're not going to believe this. And he says, well, one, you're right. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I'm going to have a baby. <laughs> I can tell. So who's the father? Uh, Joseph, come here. I mean, I, I just need to tell you this real quick. I mean, it, it, it's so inc- incredible, and just pray for me. The father is God. <laughs> to which Joseph would have said, right, I bet it's God. <clears throat> you better hope God pays child support, okay? Because <laughs> who would believe that? I mean, come on, who would believe that if, if I mean, you know, guys, if, if, if your, you know, fiance and she came to you and she said, you know, I'm pregnant and you said, are you kidding me? And she said, don't worry, it's God's. And you said, okay, the engagement is off. Just like Joseph would have done, but Joseph was a good guy. And here's what was good about Joseph. 
Joseph said, I'm not going to put you to public shame. Now, for us, a child out of, out of wedlock is not, it's not necessarily a shameful thing. But the idea here is for them, it was extraordinarily shameful. For them, this went against what was socially, culturally, and religiously acceptable. This essentially, when people would find out about this, this would make Mary an outcast. This would make Joseph, in this weird sense, either they have done something they ought not to have done, and now the whole world knows about it, because everyone knows a pregnant lady is pregnant at some point. Fellas, don't ask too quickly, okay? At about month nine, that's when you say, are you pregnant? And they say, yes, you idiot. Before that, it's not safe, okay? (laughs) But here's, here's what's beautiful about this story. This created such a messy complex, intricate situation. Because Mary, who has devoted her life to God, now gets this extraordinary blessing from God. But it's viewed in a way that makes it look and makes it seem so sinful. Isn't, Isn't this true? That sometimes... As you're following Jesus, life doesn't get easier, it just gets more complex. There's purpose, there's hope, there's promise, but it just gets more complex. You want to follow God, but it seems like when you follow God and the more that you follow God and the more that you're living for him, it just gets more and more difficult, more and more complex. People are going to say more stuff, talk more stuff, think more stuff, believe more stuff. Sometimes even church folks. In fact, this whole story is messy. I mean, up until the time that Jesus is born, she's walking around, she's talking. Can you imagine Mary going to work on Monday morning, which she probably didn't work, but if she did, can you imagine her walking into work and they're saying, oh, so you and Joseph apparently, huh? She said, no, it's actually God's, (laughs) right? Like, at what point do they have the conversation? Let's just lie, you know? I'm not trying to tell people for the next nine months that I'm having God's baby. That's just ridiculous. I'm gonna be the town crazy person. But the reality is, The reality is, for many of us, this is our story. God has done something in us and through us. Though we live in a very complex world that's oftentimes very messy. Let's be honest. Sometimes that mess isn't the outside world. It's just, it's mess that's created by us. That we've done stuff. We've been through seasons. We've created habitual habits and patterns. We've become addicted. We've become rebellious. And the thought oftentimes is when we get to that point, it's like as if we think that God sees our mess and says, are you kidding me? I cannot use you. But here's what I want you to know this morning. The opposite could not be more true. That God wants to use your story and your mess for his glory. I want you to read what happens as this angel speaks to Joseph. Betrothed to Joseph, he was quietly resolved to divorce her. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Son of David, 
Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That she will be a son, that she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And then it's like he pauses for a second and says, I'm kind of reading into this in between the lines. I know this situation is messy. I know this situation is complex. And I know it's going to be very, very difficult to explain. But here's what I want you to know. For he will save his people from their sins. In other words, the angel saying this. Joseph, you know that there's this central problem with humanity. That all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. Joseph, you know that all of us, because of our sinfulness, kind of our innate sinfulness, God in his holiness cannot have sinfulness in his presence. And because of that, we are fundamentally incompatible with God. Though we are children of God, we are not compatible with our Father because of our sin. But God didn't see that to hold, us against, hold it against us or expect perfection from us. In fact, the opposite. He gave his son to save the world of people who need saving. This isn't like the idea, you know, some Southern Baptist pastor that gets up and I'm not pick on Southern Baptists, but you know, you got to be saved. You're going to hell. Here's the idea. That God saw us, loved us, cared about us, saw that we are messy and we were messy and we, could, we will continue to be messy. Saw that we live in a messy world, a sinful world, a complex world, but did not expect perfection. Instead said, I am going to do something in this mess that will glorify me. As he would speak to, to Joseph, that will glorify me and will save the world from their sins and reconcile them. To God. Here's the point. God always, always is able to use whatever mess, whatever complexity, whatever sinfulness, whatever thing it is, God can use and will use that as we give it over to him and say, God, yes, to glorify himself and work through us. In fact, here's, here's Joseph's response. Narrator continues, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and will bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which says, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. I'll tell you what I love about this story. That God wasn't afraid of the mess. In fact, it was into this mess that God spoke. Into this mess that God moved. Into this complexity that God worked to save, to reach the entire world. One of the things that I love about baptisms is those stories. Is the stories of, of everyone who talks and says, man, this was my life before. These are the things that were going on. These are the things that were happening. These are the things that I experienced that some of which I had done and some of which had been done to me. And to see how God, though not intending or wanting or desiring for those things to happen, 
uses them. Let me, let me tell you, as I've experienced ministry, some of the most extraordinary ministry that happens doesn't simply happen because someone decides, I'm just going to do something for God. Is this God works through the complexity and the mess. God redeems and restores the things that happen in us and through us and to us. I've seen people who have been you know, victims of all kinds of things go and have extraordinary ministries. People who bought into this lie about themselves be redefined by who God has called them to be. And here's the beauty of it. When that happens, when things happen that are beyond what we would imagine, beyond what we would think conceivable, beyond what we would try to define if we were to write our own story, here's what happens. God is glorified through us. So so here's all I want you to know this morning. Perhaps the mess of your story is the perfect opportunity for God's glory. Perhaps the mess of your story, perhaps the mess of your story inwardly, perhaps the mess of your story outwardly, is the perfect opportunity for God's glory. Because you have no clue what God wants to do in and through you. You've got no clue who God wants to reach You've got no clue the extraordinary potential and capacity for ministry. So here's simply our response. Here's all we do with that. Is exactly what Joseph did, which was to say yes to God and do as he says. Say, God, if you call me to it, I'll do it. I want to live for you. My life is for you. Yes, God. Turn my mess, turn my complexity, turn my story into your glory. And here's what I love to see. I love it. When we see people who are messy, (laughs) truthfully, just like we are, begin to love and serve their friends, love and serve their family, love and serve the community around them. And one by one, person by person, step by step, God is glorified as God brings people to himself through them and through you and through us. So if that's you, and you know that right now, your story is perhaps exceptionally messy. Please do not think that you have outrun, outkicked the love of God. Because the opposite is true. Perhaps if you feel like that this morning, you are on the precipice of an extraordinary realization that God actually wants to glorify himself through you to reach a lost and a hurting and a broken world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I ask and I pray as we're gathered here, as we look at the story, God, that you did not just open up the clouds, peel back the, the, the skies and just say, I am here. But you came into a socially messy situation. You came into an, a, a complexity that was difficult to navigate for Joseph, difficult to navigate for Mary, came with all kinds of thoughts and opinions and objections. And even when you were born, <laughs> the savior of the world, God, you were born in a barn, But the point was never a clean story. The point was always, God, that you would use whatever story for your glory. And so we just pray that that would be true in us and through us. 
God, we hand over to you our sin. We hand over to you our patterns. We hand over to you our habits. We hand over to you our addictions. We hand over to you our hurt. We hand over to you our worry, our stress, our anxiety. We hand over this, this, this just gigantic thought of that happens in our life that we try to take control. And God, we just say, use it. As messy as it is and as messy as we are, we're so thankful we have a God who did not hold our sins against us, but on the other side of that, in fact, the opposite of that, you sent your son to die because we're messy, to redeem our story and then turn and use it for your glory. So God, I pray for anyone who's in here who has counted themselves out too far, too much, too complex that you would help us to see when you sent a baby into this world named Jesus who was the Messiah, you declared there is no situation too messy, no story too far gone that you can't use for your glory. God, I pray that you would lodge that truth so deep in our heart that you would use us to bring you glory as we simply hand it over to you and decide we are going to live for you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.